most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, March 30th, 2022, the 434th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So we've been talking this week about how a propaganda and censorship regime works to create a second reality over time. And on a long enough timeline, They present that second reality so fully that a huge portion of the population actually lives within that second reality. They perceive the real world around them through the lens of that second reality, where they interpret events as something completely other than they are. The definitions of words are changed. Everything we see and experience is given a second meaning, a second way to understand it in the false reality so that everything becomes what it is and its opposite. And you can just choose whichever one makes you feel comfortable. And the goal is to make the comfortable position the one that conforms to the false reality. They want people to believe and buy into the false reality. That's what the propaganda and censorship are for. That's how you get people to do and say the things you want them to do and say. And of course, the false reality is based entirely on lies and fabrications about the reality that people are actually experiencing. It gives them another way to explain everything. And as more of the real world begins to creep in and begins to invade the bubble of that story, it becomes harder and harder to keep the story going, the false story. So those disseminating the propaganda need to come up with ever more complicated and convoluted explanations for what everything is. Every time reality enters the picture, they need to find a way to deny the reality. And over time, it gets much more difficult to do. They begin with debunkings and fact checks and hope that that works. That gives all the people addicted to the central narrative a reason to go out into the world and say, that's not how it is. I know how it is. The television told me how it is. The experts say this is how it is. So that thing that you're saying from the real world, that can't be true because I already know all of the reasons why that can never be true. But if the reality is important enough and people understand it thoroughly enough, then the reality doesn't go away. The debunkings and fact checks aren't enough. The reality continues to build. The story grows. People learn more facts. And the more facts you learn about reality, the more the propaganda and censorship regime has to do to respond. Ever more complicated and convoluted explanations for everything. Now, if that goes on for too long, the next step is to move to what they call a limited hangout. And here's a definition of limited hangout from rationalwiki.org. Limited hangout is intelligence jargon for a form of propaganda in which a selected portion of a scandal, criminal act, sensitive or classified information, etc., is revealed or leaked without telling the whole story. The intention may be to establish credibility as a critic of something or somebody by engaging in criticism of them while in fact covering up for them by omitting many details. 
to distance oneself publicly from something using innocuous or vague criticism, even when one's own sympathies are privately with them or to divert public attention away from a more heinous act by leaking information about something less heinous. This is a common tactic used by political extremist groups on both ends of the political spectrum, as well as by government intelligence agencies caught in scandals. Okay, so the idea is that you give people a little bit of information that works against the narrative that you're trying to promulgate, but it serves to the listener as a recognition that the reality they're perceiving isn't as crazy as they've been told. So, yeah, there is a little bit of truth to what you're hearing and seeing. But you see, the thing is, it's not as bad as all those people on the other side are saying. It's actually this. And in doing that, they're able to gain further trust from the people paying attention to them, to the central narrative and to the propaganda. And we've seen this process at play again and again and again and again throughout the last six years. We find out some new truth about COVID or the vaccine or the Russia hoax or Hunter Biden's laptop or the fake election or whatever. And that reality starts to enter the bubble, even though everything inside the bubble has been denying that reality for months or years. It's all a conspiracy theory. There's no evidence, baseless claims. There's just absolutely nothing to that story. But it turns out in the real world, there's a lot to that story. So the story keeps bubbling up to the surface. It keeps trying to penetrate the bubble. And so eventually they'll walk back their position slightly to accommodate for the fact that people really are perceiving the real world and communicating it. For instance, we were told initially that the vaccine was very safe and effective and could stop transmission of COVID-19. Now, many people knew right away that wasn't true. And the stats began to come in that showed that wasn't true. But if we said it, if we said the true thing from the real world, well, that was a conspiracy theory because everybody knows how vaccines work. You get a shot of a vaccine and then you can't get a disease. That's what we've always been told. That's what the word vaccine has always meant. In our culture, it doesn't matter how the CDC changes their definitions of vaccine or what vaccines are meant to do. Vaccines make it so you don't get sick. That's what we have always understood. Turns out it's not true, but that's what we've understood. So inside the bubble, they protect that notion. Vaccines mean you can't get infected with COVID-19. You can't transmit it to anyone else. That's why we were told everyone had to vaccinate. Because once you vaccinate, then you can get herd immunity and then COVID goes away and people bought that hook, line and sinker. But despite a big portion of the population agreeing to believe that many people did not agree to believe that because they chose to focus on actual facts instead of what they were told by experts on the television. And so within a few months, a few months of millions of people signing up to get the shot, the CDC and Dr. Fauci and the television experts began admitting that, no, it turns out that this vaccine doesn't actually stop you from getting the disease or spreading the disease. And so they acknowledge that publicly so that people don't have to continue trying to refute or deny such an obviously true claim about the real world. We're talking about people who don't even think for themselves. They certainly can't argue for themselves. They believe in a false world. There's no way in the false world that you can actually combat real information, which is why the arguments are made for them. That's what the slogans are for. That's what the propaganda is for. It's to give them ways to explain what's happening in the world while denying what's happening in the real world. So Rochelle Walensky and Dr. Fauci, they finally admit something. They scale the position back. They say, OK, well, yes, it's true that the shot can't prevent transmission or infection, but it can prevent serious illness and death. And we're telling you about the real world because the science has changed. And we know as experts that you want us to let you know every time the science has changed. So now it's changed. You can continue trusting us. We've admitted a small error, just a, just a tiny little error. That caused millions and millions of people to get a shot that will eventually end their lives prematurely, but small error. 
And they do this either when the effect of the propaganda is wearing off and reality is getting into the bubble or because by doing it, they're able to gain a different narrative advantage. The ultimate purpose, though, one way or another is to keep people addicted to that central narrative, keep people in the false reality and keep them defending the false reality. They can't keep defending the false reality if too much of the real world breaks through the bubble. When that point is reached, the very edgy centrists basically throw up their hands and say, come on, you got to give me more than that. Everybody can see that the vaccine isn't stopping transmission or infection. So you got to give me something. Give me something to work with here, Dr. Fauci. I want to be on your team. Give me something. And so Fauci comes out and says, it's possible to still get the disease or transmit the disease. But we are really seeing great effectiveness in preventing serious illness or death. And people say, oh, that's perfect. I can go with that. I can tell people it's still important to get the vaccine because you're less likely to have serious illness or death. And I'm going to say the thing about transmission and infection because enough people around will still feel like that must be true because they defended it for so long. So even though we've already told them it's not true, they're still going to believe it is. And they're still going to stand up for that point of view unless there's really someone who wants to go all the way with an argument. Then they have to back off that point. But to all the people like them, sure, keep it going. Yeah, it reduces transmission and infection. Does it? No. But it sounds better. Sounds better. And if they're ever challenged, they have their fallback position. It's perfect. So I'm talking about all this because we have so many examples of this today. It is really incredible. I have been talking about how all of their narrative is falling apart. That's why I changed the show's format to talk about this narrative end game. But they are losing major, major narrative pieces that they have been committed to now for months or years. Or occasionally, just a few weeks, but they went really, really hard on it because that's how important it is. Now, here is the first beautiful example of this. This article came out this morning. A far-right battalion has a key role in Ukraine's resistance. Its neo-Nazi history has been exploited by Putin. This is CNN. President Vladimir Putin framed the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a special mission to protect Russian speakers from genocide at the hands of neo-Nazis. In a speech broadcast minutes before the invasion on February 24th, Putin said, we will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, ignoring the fact that the country's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, is Jewish. Well, that doesn't mean anything. The great Satan George Soros himself was Jewish, or I should say is. He seems to still be alive. But George Soros went around his neighborhood and helped load Jews onto Nazi trains. And he admits it in 60 minutes. This is nothing I'm making up. If you don't believe it, go to the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Go to the search feature and type in Soros 60 minutes. And he fully admits it. He's actually proud of himself and his survival instinct. It was going to happen either way, you see. So it's not bad that I helped. I had to keep myself alive. And we are told regularly that saying anything negative about George Soros is anti-Semitic. Does it make any sense? No. Does it belittle actual anti-Semitism? Yes. Do they care? Of course not. All that matters is the narrative. All they're trying to do is make you stop talking about George Soros. Just like here, all they want you to do is stop talking about neo-Nazis. Because Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor, is Jewish. So that means that there can't be Nazis in Ukraine. For the Kremlin, Exhibit A in this special mission is the far-right Azov movement, part of the military and political landscape in Ukraine for nearly a decade. Oh, only a decade. You got that? Nazism in Ukraine began a decade ago. Azov's military and political wings 
formally separated in 2016 when the far-right National Core Party was founded. The Azov Battalion had by then been integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard. So no worries there. It's like they disappeared. And that's how we should see it. The Azov had their own thing, a neo-Nazi army, very scary. But the Azov Battalion disappears when it joins the Ukraine National Guard. The Ukraine National Guard doesn't become completely littered with Nazis and indistinguishable from Nazis. The Nazis just disappear. And that's what happened in 2016. It's strange that we even have to talk about them, seeing as they disappeared. But, you know, the, that fake right wing news just trying to call them Nazis and showing pictures of them as Nazis and showing them torturing prisoners of war as Nazis. An effective fighting force that's very much involved in the current conflict. The battalion has a history of neo-Nazi leanings, which have not been entirely extinguished by its integration into the Ukrainian military. So they're only like neo-Nazi curious. They just lean that way. They're leaning in to Nazism as Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg does into, oh, I mean, I guess also Nazism. You can't say that joke. She's Jewish. In its heyday as an autonomous militia, the Azov Battalion was associated with white supremacists and neo-Nazi ideology and insignia. When was its heyday? I could have sworn you just said they started a decade ago. So when was their heyday? I mean, I guess if they're on the decline and, you know, from this article, they say that they were basically on the decline since joining the actual military in 2016. So was the heyday between 2014 and 2016, like between the time where our CIA and the global communists overthrew the government of Ukraine and put Petro Poroshenko in as president, Petro Poroshenko, who rides around in a truck with a sign that says Bandera Mobile on the side for Stefan Bandera, the Nazi hero of Ukraine, who is still thought of as a hero by many Ukrainians. And I'm not saying all Ukrainians and I'm not saying Ukrainian people are Nazis or sympathetic to Nazis. I have no idea what the average Ukrainian person on the streets thinks about Nazis. I can't imagine they're too happy with them now as those Nazis attack Ukrainian towns and villages and use Ukrainian schools and hospitals to try to attack Russian soldiers from. And then the Russians blow up the schools and hospitals where the neo-Nazis are. And then the whole world goes crazy. But yeah, they put in Poroshenko. He's buddies with all those right wing extremists, the right sector, Azov, all good. Did members of those groups enter the Ukrainian government at that point? Yes, they did. Did John McCain and Lindsey Graham travel to Ukraine to give pep talks to Ukrainian soldiers about what they had to do in the eastern region, the Donbass and Crimea? Yeah, that happened too. So I guess maybe that was their heyday between 2014 and 2016. And then in 2016, it all started falling apart when they were brought into the actual Ukrainian National Guard. What an insult that must have been for them. They were like, oh, more people are going to supply us weapons. The United States is going to supply us weapons. Man, it's too bad our heyday just ended. So just a reset here in this article. In its heyday as an autonomous militia, the Azov Battalion was associated with white supremacists and neo-Nazi ideology and insignia. It was especially active in and around Mariupol in 2014 and 2015. CNN teams in the area at the time reported Azov's embrace of neo-Nazi emblems and paraphernalia. Yeah, like they just got into it. They were just experimenting with neo-Nazism. And that's not what brought them into Azov initially. And that's not why the Ukrainian government started to give those extremist factions legitimate power in the government and formal roles in the military. Crazy. After its integration 
into the Ukrainian National Guard amid discussions in the U.S. Congress about designating the Azov movement a foreign terrorist organization, Ukraine's then Minister of Internal Affairs, Arsen Avakov, defended the unit. The shameful information campaign about the alleged spread of Nazi ideology is a deliberate attempt to discredit the Azov unit and the National Guard of Ukraine, he told the online newspaper Ukrainska Pravda in 2019. Now, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist. Maybe I'm just stupid. But it sounds like CNN in this article, this writer is repeating neo-Nazi propaganda. But it must not be that. Because CNN is firmly committed to telling the truth. The battalion still operates as a relatively autonomous entity. It has been prominent in defending Mariupol in recent weeks, and its resistance has been widely praised by members of the government. Now, recall what the narrative on Mariupol has been for weeks. That was where the Nazis were making their stand and Putin was taking them out. That's why Mariupol turned into such a battlefield. Putin has offered for them to surrender and leave with their lives if they disarm many times and has been negotiating about all of this stuff for weeks and weeks. But now we have CNN cheering on the performance of a neo-Nazi battalion in defending Mariupol in a lost cause that only increases the destruction to the country and only kills more citizens. And we'll get into more of that in a second. For Putin, who has falsely claimed Ukraine's government is run by drug addicts and neo-Nazis, Azov presents an obvious target. Moscow has given the regiment an outsized role in the conflict, routinely accusing it of human rights abuses. Well, yeah, but they're only doing that because the human rights abuses are on video. On March 7th, Russia's ambassador to the United Nations blamed the Azov regiment for blocking an evacuation corridor in the besieged port city, saying they were using citizens as a human shield. That claim has been repeated consistently in Russian media. The same day, Azov Major Denis Prokopenko said in a video shared on the regiment's Twitter account that Quote, the attempts to organize a safe corridor for the relocation of civilian people failed because of several actions of the enemy Russian forces in the assembly area. And who are you going to believe Russians with the facts on the ground or a neo-Nazi that CNN supports? The choice is simple. After the bombing of a Mariupol theater that was sheltering civilians, and had children written in Russian on the ground on either side of the building. The Russian defense ministry accused militants of the nationalist Azov battalion of carrying out the attack. And that couldn't have been true because CNN doesn't address it again in this article. They just say that the Russians accused them of that. But everybody in CNN's reality understands that only Russians would bomb a theater in Ukraine and that writing the word children around a building makes it a safe zone. All of the Nazis just scramble back to the theater. Ali Ali Oxen free. You'll never catch me. I've made it to the theater and wrote children on the ground. You're not allowed to bomb me now. I'm wearing my invincibility cloak. In the Russian disinformation playbook, the Azov movement is a tempting target, one where fact and disinformation can be elided. The existence of an identifiably Azov element within the Ukrainian armed forces and an effective element at that poses uncomfortable questions for the Ukrainian government and its Western allies, which continue to send arms to the country. Hey, that's us, CNN. That is money being committed to one day be earned by American taxpayers. Yes, of course, we're paying for it in debt because we got no money. We're 30 plus trillion dollars in debt. So it's just more debt. And someday the American workers will be able to be productive enough to earn back enough tax money to send more weapons to neo-Nazis. Well, I mean, I guess you didn't go that far into the analysis, did you, CNN? CNN has reached out to Ukraine's defense ministry for comment. Hey, 
Ukrainian defense ministry. Are the Nazis enjoying the weapons we're sending them? Oh, they're just still getting buried in Mariupol. (laughs) Well, hey, at least they got the opportunity to try to defend themselves with American weapons. American taxpayers are happy. We're going to speak on their behalf. American taxpayers are happy just knowing that their money could be burned up in Ukraine rather than burned up in Mexico by globalist NGOs. In the not-too-distant past, Azov's leadership openly espoused white supremacist views and cultivated links with similarly-minded groups and individuals in the West. Now, were any of those individuals American politicians who were funding and arming them? Let's just say no, because it feels better. And I wonder what the not-too-distant past means. Was it before or after their heyday? We're talking about a group that has been around, they say, for less than a decade. So in that decade, they have had a heyday and a not too distant past. And it was only during those times that they were really Nazis. Now they're just little helpers with swastikas and iron crosses on. But hey, Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor... He's a little helper and he wears an iron cross on his T-shirt on television and no one says a thing. And so that means all of it's all good. In 2010, Andrei Beletsky, now leader of the National Corps, the Azov movement's political wing, reportedly said his goal was to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade, end quote. In a statement to CNN, the Azov regiment said it, quote, appreciates and respects Andrei Beletsky as the regiment's founder and first commander. But we have nothing to do with his political activities and the National Corps Party, adding the former commander never made such comments. The statement said that Azov's motivation has always angered Russia. Therefore, disinformation attacks on the Azov regiment have not stopped since 2014. Ah, they're attacking us with disinformation. How dare you say those things about them? Nazis have feelings too? Nazis cry? Nazis, Nazis feel? It added that the movement has repeatedly denied allegations of fascism, Nazism, and racism, and have Ukrainians of all different backgrounds, including Greeks, Jews, Crimean Tatars, Russians, who continue to serve in Azov. And just like Volodymyr Zelensky being a Jew and George Soros being a Jew, the fact that some members of the Azov battalion are Greeks, Jews, Crimean, and Russian means that they're inclusive and therefore not part of the problem. All you have to do is slap an inclusive label on the Azov insignia. Just cover up the Nazi insignia with an inclusive insignia. Put rainbow flags over the Nazi insignia all throughout Ukraine, and then they become inclusive. Most of them are Russian speaking. Most are Orthodox, but there are Catholics and Protestants, pagans and those who profess Islam and Judaism, and there are atheists. Azov asserted, and I guess that that's their official statement. So we have to believe it. Nazis wouldn't lie about something like that. Their number one priority is constantly hating everything, not covering up the fact that they hate everything by simply lying. They would never do that. It noted the Azov regiment's role is as a special unit of the National Guard of Ukraine and is subordinated exclusively to the Supreme Commander-in-Chief, the President of Ukraine. By the way, (laughs) a Jew. And so there you have it. Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor, is absolutely, 100% undeniably in charge of the neo-Nazi battalions, but he's a Jew. And they listen to him, so they're not Nazis anymore. It's crazy that they never say in this article that the neo-Nazi battalion was disbanded for its neo-Nazi-ness. They've never said that. Why? Because it didn't happen. And they don't even have to say it because these explanations are probably good enough for their audience who wants to believe that they're not currently supporting Nazis right now and defending Nazis right now and justifying and rationalizing Nazis right now because they're too busy hashtag standing with Ukraine. 
It would be absurd to think that we are united by the idea of white racism or Nazism, the Azov statement added and CNN dutifully reprinted. Despite the Azov movement's international notoriety, Ukraine, quote, is not a cesspit for Nazi sympathizers, end quote, according to Alexander Ritzman, a senior advisor at the Counter Extremism Project based in Berlin. And you've got to trust them. It says Counter Extremism Project in their name, so they must be against all the bad things. Now, if they are against all the bad things, it's a little strange that their advisory board has members of the Council on Foreign Relations and the United Nations and other globalist groups. But we're just going to have to take their word for it. This is CNN. And what a bold statement. Ukraine is not a cesspit for Nazi sympathizers. (laughs) Really took down that claim right there. He noted that in the last elections in Ukraine in 2019, Azov's political wing only won 2.15% of the vote and Beletsky lost his seat in parliament. And all of that was due to very free and fair elections. Plus, Ritzman says there are far right actors prominent in Russia, too. There is a far right extremist problem on both sides in the conflict, but there seems to be a bias in only reporting on Ukraine's far right problem, he said. Well, hey. I'm open to that being true. But if it is true, how come one of the new genres of American mainstream news isn't highlighting everything Russian Nazis do? Where are those articles? They should be everywhere. You think all those Instagram influencers with Ukrainian flags as their profile picture don't want a little cannon fodder? They don't want a little ammo to go after everybody else and say, hey, you have to stop calling us Nazi sympathizers and supporters because Russia has Nazis, too. That would be the hottest article on the Internet every day. You could print the same article every single day. And you'd have like Mark Ruffalo and Sophia Bush pushing it out as if it was new again. If there was a Nazi problem in Russia, everyone would know it. But wait a second, hold on, because when I was doing a little background on all this, I came across this little piece from Voice of America News from August 1st, 2020, with the headline, Germany dissolves elite army unit over far right activity. And I don't want to go too far into this, but Germany's defense ministry officially disbanded a company of its special forces command on Saturday following reports that it had been exposed to far right and neo-Nazi ideology. The move showed how deeply rooted right wing extremism could be within the German army, some experts said. The announcement basically acknowledges for the first time that it is not just individual cases in which soldiers show up as right wing extremists, but that there are right wing extremist networks in the German federal armed forces, said Fabian Virchow, a professor at the University of Applied Sciences, Dusseldorf and director of the research unit on right wing extremism. Where's the research unit on left-wing extremism? Now, I know, I know this is all crazy. No one could ever believe that there would be Nazis in Germany of all places. Get CNN on the case. And you gotta say this, but with all of the wokeness in the world that we have all had to deal with for years and years now, how is it that CNN is now proud to announce itself as the outlet for Nazi denial. And by their standards, this is exactly what they're doing. I mean, you could do an investigative report, an expose on how few actual white nationalists and white supremacists there are in America. And the number is extraordinarily small. People just don't align with that ideology in America. They just don't. In those extremist groups, you might find plenty of federal government plants and FBI plants as well. You could do a full report on that, just laying out the facts and outlets like CNN and all of the woke millennial bloggers all over Twitter would all call that sympathizing or denial. But when they do it with actual Nazis In another country who, by the way, we should have no alliance with whatsoever. 
We should not be sending arms to Ukrainian Nazis. We also shouldn't be sending arms to German Nazis or Nazis anywhere else. When Nazis are a major part of your national guard, well, American support should be declined in all cases. If the military goal was that important to American interests, well, American soldiers who aren't Nazis should go there and do it for themselves. Not that I'm encouraging that, obviously, because there is no American interest in Ukraine. There is only the interest of the global communist order and the American evil twin. But it is good to know the level to which American elitists will stoop to maintain their position. They will now rationalize and justify Nazism with convoluted and complicated explanations, none of which attach to reality. She brought up a whole bunch of points in that article about how you should look away from the Nazi problem in Ukraine. But the point she didn't bring up was that there wasn't a Nazi problem in Ukraine. She can't say that. So instead, we get little pieces of information. Yeah, OK, there are Nazis. And yeah, OK, they're called this and they have these leaders, but they had a heyday, but it's not anymore. And they're not that old. And in the not too distant past, they were racist. But the thing is. If you ask them, they're all really nice people. CNN is running interference for Nazis, period. The people with the Ukraine flag saying stand with Ukraine, wanting flyover zones, wanting more weapons sent there, lying about what's happening there, believing every bit of American and Ukrainian and global communist propaganda, not even looking to think that maybe they're wrong, even though they've been wrong about everything for years, absolutely everything. There is not one thing, not one thing these people have been right about. And the thing they'll always go to is, huh, well, we told you Donald Trump was going to lose the election. Well, good luck with that, Kami. So we know what the underlying reality is. There are Nazis in Ukraine. They are attacking Ukrainian citizens. They are using Ukrainian citizens as human shields. They are stationing themselves in infrastructure like schools and hospitals and theaters. And they are torturing POWs while being armed by America and Western allies. And we know why that information going wide would be bad for the cause of the global communist order and the American evil twin. That would make them look like the bad guys. Oh, hey, you guys are arming Nazis. Is there any problem with that? CNN jumps up to say no. But only after they spent weeks saying, no, there's no Nazis. There's no Nazi problem. Now there are Nazis, but it's not a problem. And we have an explanation for you. But the thing you have to look at is why are they going that far? Well, obviously, they're trying to mitigate the effect of the reality of Nazism in Ukraine being accepted broadly. But I believe it could also be a sign of how poorly things are going in Ukraine for the narrative. They are not getting what they wanted out of this Ukraine situation at all. None of the real life objectives have been completed in any way. It seems like maybe the real life objective they're actually after is to destroy the American dollar, believing that they'll get the great reset fully into place in America with a cashless global digital currency, or they may actually achieve the other real life goal, which is to start World War Three and then profit on the war and the rebuilding. And in the meantime, get that great reset going. But they're certainly not telling the truth. They're just telling enough truth to keep people on board. And apparently this is the best they've got. Yeah, there are Nazis, but they're not that big a deal. Their heyday was long ago. This is a huge piece of the central narrative on Ukraine just absolutely falling apart. I mean, honestly, what is next? Are they going to try to rebrand Nazis? I wouldn't put it past them, just for the record. Not saying they will. But they might. This is from the Washington Post. Another part of the central narrative just falling away. Russia has killed civilians in Ukraine. Kiev's defense tactics add to the danger. The suspected Russian missile hit the tall apartment building. <laughs> what is this written by a four-year-old? 
The big red dog lives in a big yellow dog house. The suspected Russian missile hit the tall apartment building, engulfing it in flames and smoke. It killed at least four people, including elderly residents, and shattered the lives of a close-knit community. For lawmaker Alexei Goncharenko, the tragedy was yet another example of potential Russian war crimes. <laughs> they can't come out and say it's actually a war crime. Because the whole story is probably false. They have no idea who hit that building. So there's no way to call it a war crime. They don't really know what happened there. Potential war crimes. It's a potential war crime. They are just hitting residential buildings in these areas, said the Ukrainian parliament member who arrived at the scene shortly after the explosion two weeks ago. You can walk around. You will not find any military targets or any military people. This is just terror. And hey. You gotta trust a Ukrainian parliament member, especially one who came into office with Petro Poroshenko in 2014 and has a longer list of controversies on his Wikipedia page than anything else about the man. Over half his Wikipedia page is just controversies like corruption and theft and stuff. But good job, Washington Post. You're getting to the bottom of things. Yet a few minutes later, the whooshing sound of Ukrainian rockets fired from a multiple rocket launcher startled residents staring blankly at their destroyed homes. Then another outgoing barrage. The weapons seemed to be nearby, perhaps a few streets away, certainly well inside the capital. Oh, I mean, that's strange. Just a second ago, Alexei Ancherenko said, you will not find any military targets or any military people. That was literally in the last paragraph. Increasingly, Ukrainians are confronting an uncomfortable truth. The military's understandable impulse to defend against Russian attacks could be putting civilians in the crosshairs. Virtually every neighborhood in most cities has become militarized, some more than others, making them potential targets for Russian forces trying to take out Ukrainian defenses. Oh, so the neighborhoods in most cities have become militarized. And now the Russians are attacking what they believe are military installations, but they're actually civilian places. Gosh, I wish there was at least one of those two countries involved in this telling us that exact fact for the entire time. Oh, there was. Oh, yeah, that's what Russia has been saying the entire time. I wonder how the comedic actor distributing 10,000 weapons to Ukrainian citizens factored into all of this. I am very reluctant to suggest that Ukraine is responsible for civilian casualties because Ukraine is fighting to defend its country from an aggressor, said William Shabas, an international law professor at Middlesex University in London. And he probably knows for sure. But to the extent that Ukraine brings the battlefield to the civilian neighborhoods, it increases the danger to civilians. Man, that's kind of a big admission, isn't it? Ukraine's cities and civilian areas have become the crucible of the war, where an intense struggle is unfolding between Russians who want to seize or control these areas and Ukrainians defiantly resisting. That has transformed the conflict into a largely urban war, forged more by aerial weaponry and bombardments than traditional street-by-street -street fighting in many areas. With Russian forces targeting cities, the Ukrainians have responded by fortifying civilian areas to defend Kyiv, deploying air defense systems, heavy weaponry, soldiers, and volunteers to patrol enclaves. Civilian casualties are mounting. Wait, like just in general or are those because of Russia? There's no doubt that Russian forces are behind the most horrific attacks of the war as it continues into a second month. They have struck schools, clinics, ambulances, shopping centers, electric and water facilities, and passenger cars, among numerous indiscriminate attacks on civilians, according to human rights activists, all of whom are, of course, financed by the global communist order and the evil twin from America and the European allies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's who creates human rights activists everywhere around the world to tell the whole world a story about how bad the enemy is. It's too bad they never list who these human rights activists are or what groups they work for. 
or who funds them. In the southern city of Mariupol, a suspected Russian airstrike killed many people taking refuge inside a theater. It was clearly marked with the Russian word for children in huge letters visible from the sky. Days earlier, a maternity hospital was hit. Are those stories real? No, they're not real. But does every single news outlet say them over and over and over again? Because those are the most effective narratives they have? Of course. That is why you hear these over and over and over again. High level emotional impact for the reader and already agreed to be true, even though they're not true. That has unlimited value for them. And the more often they repeat it, the people who doubted that it could possibly be true because they've actually seen real information then revert to thinking, well, I mean, surely CNN and the Washington Post have seen that real world information that disputes these claims. They must be talking about a different event or maybe they've debunked all that information that was disputing the claim in the first place. I mean, they couldn't just be lying about all this stuff. So it must be true. They keep saying it. It must be true. And people still wonder how a false reality gets created. But Ukraine's strategy of placing heavy military equipment and other fortifications in civilian zones could weaken Western and Ukrainian efforts to hold Russia legally culpable for possible war crimes, said human rights activists and international humanitarian law experts. Last week, the Biden administration formally declared that Moscow has committed crimes against humanity. Okay, so Ukraine is defending Ukraine against the Russian invasion. And the way they're defending Ukraine, their strategy for defending Ukraine is putting their armaments and fortifications into civilian zones, thereby making civilian zones the target for Russians. And they make that their new safe zone. You can't attack me while I'm here. That's how it works. If I get here, if I write children in front of the building, then you can't attack me here. I will attack you from here relentlessly and you can't shoot back because it says children outside. And think about the fact that they are concerned that Russia will not be able to be held accountable for war crimes because this is Ukraine's strategy. Now, why would that be? Why would they not want countries to employ this strategy? Oh, because it increases civilian deaths unnecessarily. So why are the Ukrainians doing it? Did the comedic actor just make a mistake strategically? Maybe the neo-Nazis did this on their own. It's hard to tell. But if we're assigning culpability for civilian casualties in Ukraine, does it still sound like Russia's the problem? And consider the region that this fight is actually ostensibly over. The Donbass. Russia's forces go in to Russian ethnic neighborhoods and cities and territory that have been involved in a civil war with Ukraine for the last eight years. Russia goes in and fortifies those areas. And then Ukrainian forces go in and attack Russian forces in those areas. Now, in that situation, if you think Russia is responsible for those civilian casualties, well, you're not very bright. You're probably the kind of person who reads the Washington Post and CNN seriously and thinks this is what's happening in the world. I will guide my life by this. I will stake my morality and the status of my infinite moral soul on CNN and Washington Post being correct. That's how I know that it's okay to hashtag stand with Ukraine. In fact, it's the only way to be okay. And that's how I know it's okay to say, eh, little Nazis here and there never hurt anybody. It's just what we need. They're very effective fighters. CNN told us that. This is the best we've got. That's why we have to use them. And when you're far enough down that road, really, there's nothing you can't rationalize. And just jumping down a bit to hit one more thing. 
The Ukrainian military has a responsibility under international law to remove their forces and equipment from civilian populated areas. And if that is not possible to move civilians out of those areas. And that's according to a man named Richard Weir, who is a researcher at Human Rights Watch. If they don't do that, it's a violation of the laws of war, he added, because what they are doing is they are putting civilians at risk because all that military equipment are legitimate targets. In response to written questions from the Post, Alexei Arestovich, advisor to the head of the office of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, said the country's military doctrine approved by parliament provides for the principle of, quote, total defense. That means that volunteers in the territorial defense forces or in other self-defense units have the legal authority to protect their homes, which are mostly in urban areas. Moreover, he argued that international humanitarian laws or the laws of war don't apply in this conflict because, quote, the main task of Putin's military campaign is the destruction of the Ukrainian nation, end quote. He said Russian President Vladimir Putin has repeatedly denied Ukraine's existence as an independent nation. So you got that? Because Vladimir Putin doesn't share the West's explanation for how and why the border lines are drawn. Ukraine gets to violate all the laws of war and put all their equipment in civilian neighborhoods so that they can show the world, look what the Russians did. But hey, the comedic actor has to be doing the right thing because he's so funny and charming. And he says, close the skies. And he's not a Nazi because he's Jewish. So you can read the rest of that article on the Washington Post. And if you want to avoid their paywall, just go to a private browser and paste the link in. But let's check out one more critical piece of the central narrative that is absolutely falling apart right now. And this is also from the Washington Post. The mainstream media is doing a whole lot of cleanup today, and it is really embarrassing. Inside Hunter Biden's multi-million dollar deals with a Chinese energy company. The deal was years in the making, the culmination of forging contacts, hosting dinners, of flights to and from China. But on August 2nd, 2017, signatures were quickly affixed, one from Hunter Biden, the other from a Chinese executive named Gong Wendong. Within days, a new Cafe Bank account was created. Within a week, millions of dollars started to change hands. Within a year, it would all begin to collapse. While many aspects of Hunter Biden's financial arrangement with CEFC China Energy have been previously reported and were included in a Republican-led Senate report from 2020, a Washington Post review confirmed many of the key details and found additional documents showing Biden family interactions with Chinese executives. Now, that paragraph is brilliant. OK, yesterday I was talking about how all of this information actually was available in 2020 and the media all just ignored it. And then what they did was say that this is not new information. So that's a good reason for you to ignore it. You've heard all this before. If it was a big deal, somebody else would have said something by now. So don't worry. They're saying that all of this was in the 2020 report. And of course it was. But what they're saying is new is the Washington Post having just confirmed all this information. More than 18 months later, they found additional documents. That's why it's important now. Over the course of 14 months, the Chinese energy conglomerate and its executives paid $4.8 million to entities controlled by Hunter Biden and his uncle, according to government records, court documents, and newly disclosed bank statements, as well as emails contained on a copy of a laptop hard drive that purportedly once belonged to Hunter Biden. The Post did not find evidence that Joe Biden personally benefited or knew the details about the transactions with CEFC, which took place after he had left the vice presidency and before he announced his intentions to run for the White House in 2020. So you see that a perfect limited hangout. All of the underlying details are true, but there's still some doubt about how true they are or whether or not they matter. I mean, there's no evidence, no evidence at all from the few things we looked at. 
that Joe Biden personally benefited from all this stuff. But of course, on the laptop, there's plenty of evidence that he did, including breakdowns of payments and different things that Hunter Biden and his accounts would be paying for in the Joe Biden realm. There is overwhelming evidence on the laptop that Joe Biden directly benefited from all of this. But the Washington Post doesn't care right now because the Washington Post is busy creating a false reality that benefits Amazon and more importantly, benefits Amazon as a part of the global communist agenda. The Washington Post exists to create a false reality where Amazon benefits more. That's why the propaganda outlets exist. People used to talk all the time about how NBC's news coverage benefits General Electric. Disney's media coverage benefits Disney by creating a false reality that is better for Disney to profit. Of course, now all of these media conglomerates have merged in their interests. They all exist as part of the World Economic Forum to serve the global communist agenda and the Great Reset agenda. They have been picked as the winners for the future. So now their goals are all aligned. And now we get essentially the same story. And if you want to read more of that story, go to the Washington Post. But this today is my favorite example of the complete and total narrative collapse. And once again, this is CNN, the most trusted name in news. Some brand new CNN reporting. A Justice Department investigation on Hunter Biden, the president's son, has intensified over the last several months. The investigation has been going on since 2018, and this stems from Biden's business dealings, from Hunter Biden's business dealings in foreign countries like Ukraine while his father was serving as vice president. Sources tell CNN that President Biden is not being investigated in relation to his son's dealings. Uh, joining me now is CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez and CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig. Uh, Evan, just lay out your reporting here because this is very, very bad for the president's son. It is, and it's an investigation, as you pointed out, going back to 2018. And, and right now, prosecutors in Delaware uh, are, are focusing on a number of things, including whether Hunter Biden and, and some of his business associates uh, violated laws, including tax and money laundering laws and foreign lobbying laws. A lot of this has to do with Hunter Biden's time working with uh, this company called Burisma, an energy company in Ukraine. He was getting paid as much as $50,000 a month for that company during a time that the, uh, Joe Biden, his father, was vice president, was in charge of handling Ukraine issues for the Obama administration. And that, of course, raised questions of, of a conflict. And so what we know is this investigation, you know, for a while uh, it has been going on and, and it seemed to not, not a lot was going on until recently. Uh, a lot of activity has picked up. We've no witnesses have gone in to talk to the grand jury in Delaware. We know of witnesses who are going in to talk to investigators in the next few weeks. So we know that there's a lot of activity now picking up. Uh, he's not been charged. Uh, he says that there, uh, Hunter Biden uh, says that he committed no wrongdoing and that he says at the end of this, he believes he'll be cleared. But obviously, as you pointed out, this is a a political mess for the sitting president to have his son being investigated by the Justice Department, his own Justice Department. Yeah, he was making a lot of money doing something he definitely should not have been doing while his dad was vice president and right. overseeing that portfolio. Ellie, how do you see this? Well, Brianna, this is a very real, very substantial investigation of potentially serious federal crimes. We are seeing federal prosecutors in Delaware do exactly what you would expect to see federal prosecutors do in this situation. They're talking to witnesses. They're bringing people into the grand jury. They're issuing subpoenas. And I would expect, as Evan reported, they're now gaining steam and they need to make a decision, I think, in the at least intermediate future. This case has been going on for four years, and there is a realistic chance this could result in federal charges. Of course, then we'd be in unprecedented political territory, not legal territory, but a situation of having potentially the Justice Department prosecuting and trying to imprison the son of the president. Imagine how that must hurt 
for their viewers. Imagine how much that must hurt for them to say all of this. And you could hear it in Evan Perez's voice. He was always stopping and starting. He couldn't quite get the thought out the way it needed to be said to make it seem like CNN hadn't just been covering this up for the last few years. So why is all this happening now? We've talked about that a little bit. Today, Jack Basobic asserted the idea that maybe all of this is coming out to force Biden's hand in bringing the United States further into some sort of war or conflict with Russia in Ukraine. And who knows if that will work? Maybe he's totally right. It's possible that that's what they're doing. Joe Biden has failed at absolutely everything he was put in that office to do. And I'm talking even from the global communist perspective, they would have been much better off if Joe was able to genuinely sell his agenda to the American people. They thought that Joe Biden would have approval on all of these things, that the public wouldn't simply reject all of this. They wanted to do it under a president everybody liked, a president that everybody thought was competent that the media could really defend. But that's not working out for Joe Biden because he's not competent and the programs aren't good. The American public is waking up to all of this. So are they really putting all of this out to force Biden's hand? Or are they putting all this out to force Biden out? And this is what I've been saying for over a year and a half now, ever since the laptop story started coming out. I said, it sounds to me like Joe Biden might be set up to be a fall guy. He'll be put into office. He'll try to implement as many parts of the Build Back Better, Great Reset, Green New Deal agenda as possible. And then when everything gets so bad that people cannot take it anymore, they'll blame everything on Joe and Hunter, all of the criminality, decades of corruption, all of it. They'll say it's all tied to Joe Biden. Joe Biden was the mastermind. Him and his son, Hunter, they carried everything out. So Obama's not responsible. Clinton's not responsible. FBI, CIA, nope. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell. No, all of the Democrat Communist Party members, the rhinos, all of them, they're not responsible. Everything's fine. It was just Joe Biden. They'll make Joe Biden the fall guy, blame everything on him, get him out. And then put somebody else in so that as society improves after Biden is gone, all they have to do is turn down the awfulness a little bit and the society would get better. America is naturally a much better functioning country than what's happening right now. Everything put in place now is a restriction of America operating in its natural state. All they have to do is less of that. And the country will automatically get better. They could replace Joe Biden with anyone and simply allow America to get better. And Americans will be happier with the government. And I've always thought that that was the plan. I guess we'll see if I'm right at all about that. But it's not a coincidence that all of the media organizations and all of the elements of government and culture that helped to hide the Hunter Biden laptop and helped to defend Joe Biden throughout the campaign and in the year and a half since are now laying the groundwork not only for Hunter Biden to be indicted, which his baby mama's attorney expects. He said he expects Hunter Biden to be indicted soon. But eventually for Joe Biden to be completely exposed on all of this, and that's coming too. There's no way that the Hunter stuff can get out and Joe isn't implicated. Even the child brains watching CNN and reading the Washington Post can figure that one out. Before I go, I just want to remind everybody that if you need some pillows, you need a mattress topper, some slippers, some towels, some sheets, anything, go to mypillow.com, use the promo code reasonable. You support me. You support a great American company and you make your home a whole lot more comfortable. Plus you get a free gift, Lindell's book. So go make it happen. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!